chapter 23, the book of 2 Samuel chapter 23, they uh, did a survey of uh, a certain group of people who had dropped out of church and no longer attended church, and the main reason that was given was that church was boring. It no longer thrilled them to worship God. It no longer thrilled them for doing service in the kingdom of God. And this was the main reason that was given why people dropped out of church. So this morning as we're here to combat that and to uh, bring some balance to that, we have to go beyond church uh, as an entertainment center. This is all many churches have become, a religious entertainment center. And you have to go beyond that. You have to reach down and touch a nerve somewhere where you are establishing holy ground in your being, in your hearts, and in your lives. And this is something that's missing in many, many people. There is no sense of the awe and the reverence for the holiness of God. I want to preach on sacred things this morning using for a text Second Samuel 23 beginning with verse 13. It's a very familiar portion about the three mighty men who took the water from the well of Bethlehem and brought it to David. Verse 13, Then three of the thirty chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Abdullam. And the troop of Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim, and David was then in the stronghold. And the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he did not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. Now, there's a crucial understanding that we want to grasp here. And this is sadly lacking in our modern culture because there is a bias and there is a bent in our generation, our society, to to shove aside or to mock things that are holy, things that ought to be sacred. Uh, Anything is sacred and holy. Uh, Anything from mocking to irrelevancy is in our generation. We uh, see this in our society. I uh, read a quote, but I want to share it again on sports on Sunday. Let me uh, just share this with you because it gives tremendous insight uh, into what's happened in our country. And it says it wasn't until 1949 that the National Football League officially sanctioned Sunday games. Fifty-some years ago, those who cared about the secularization of the country surely could not have envisioned uh, the Super Bowl Sunday in the American church. And there are churches all over America that on Super Bowl Sunday, they could not compete. There's nothing happening in the church that's exciting enough. They couldn't compete, and they compromised, put a big screen TV in the main auditorium, 
and their service was Super Bowl. I'm sorry, but I have problems with that. What I just heard these people say this morning is more exciting than any piece of pigskin thrown across and big bruisers hitting each other. Can you say amen? One miracle, one miracle that Sister Brunson talked about in that Oceanside Crusade is worth more impact upon the souls of men for eternity than any sports entertainment, any religious entertainment that you could ever enjoy. And 50 years ago, they would have never dreamed that in America that sports would have taken the place of church as it's much more exciting. See, the Bible has a word, and that word is the word profane. That word literally means to cross a threshold. And in Ezekiel 22, 26 says, Her priests do violence to my law and profane my holy things. They do not distinguish between the holy and the common. They teach that there is no difference between the unclean and the clean. And they shut their eyes to the keeping of my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. No distinction between the sacred and the secular is the indictment that uh, the Bible brings against the people of God. And what we're dealing with this morning and we want to grasp is a knowledge of the holy. Verse 16 gives this tremendous understanding because the Bible says uh, that uh, as these three men broke through and brought this wa- uh, water to David, it says, nevertheless, uh, he would not drink it, uh, but he poured it out uh, before the Lord. Now think about that for a moment, about the uh, dynamics that are involved here. Here are three men. These three men risk their lives to bring a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem. When they bring it to David, uh, he pours it out. Now this is not an insult. It's something far deeper and far more profound uh, that we have there. And behind this act is an understanding of something that is sacred because something holy had occurred. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 9, verse 10, says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. There is a central truth that runs throughout the Bible, and that central truth is that God is holy. Can you say amen? God is holy. He's not uh, the man upstairs. He's not our buddy. He's not uh, this, uh, uh, this uh, 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 being that's off somewhere in the nether nether world. God is holy. And if you understand anything from the Bible, you need to understand that, that over and over and over and over again, this is pounded home to us uh, that God is holy. Now grasp that for a moment uh, because we need to understand that. Uh, And we have to have, uh, this morning, holy ground in our lives. Uh, One thing that bothered me uh, when I, as a new Christian, I was saved when I was nearly 25 years old. I came into a denominational church that was quite cold, uh, and a lot of people attended there that were lukewarm. And I remember uh, the popular thing was to tell religious jokes. I never could stand religious jokes. I said something about uh, uh, this uh, holy faith that we have that does not tolerate uh, uh, levity uh, and it's wrong to use sacred things uh, 
as, uh, as, uh, as if they're a comedy. There's something wrong with a Christian comedian. Are you with me? Something's not right about that. And uh, I have always had problems with that. This isn't in my notes this morning. I just feel grieved about that, and I want to get it off my chest. <laughs> We're dealing with something here that is holy, and uh, we need to have an establishment uh, of this in our lives. Uh, and unless we have an establishment of this, that God is holy, something's missing uh, in our understanding. Uh, because this word holy uh, comes from an ancient word. It literally means to cut, and as it means to cut, it brings us an understanding that holy means to set apart from common use. In the book of Exodus, chapter 30, 32 and 33, it talks about the holy anointing oil. And it says it's not to be poured on man's flesh, nor it is not for the enjoyment of man, nor shall you make any other like it according to its composition. It is holy. And it shall be holy to you, whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. Now, we're not talking this morning about the latest men's fragrance. We're talking about the anointing oil. This is the oil that is to be poured upon those that are consecrated to the service of God. And there's a clear separation. And he says, this is to cut between the sacred and the secular. It is holy. And the key idea is to be treated differently. See, we have to establish this morning holy ground in our lives. And all of this has to carry a dimension that is going to be with the believer and stay with the believer. And all of life is to have that dimension. In Exodus 20 and verse 8, the Bible says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, this has a profound statement, and that statement brings us some understanding that God intends that this day is not to be like other days. Can anybody say amen this morning? And so if this is acted out, it would change radically and dramatically the professing Christian church and all of its activities. I, I was leaving last Sunday night. Our services are early. We get out to start early, get out early. And uh, I went by a, a, a Pentecostal church, a charismatic Pentecostal church. There's a second one I've driven by of that denomination the last three to four months. Uh, neither of them apparently any longer have uh, Sunday night services. Now, these are people who began in the fire of the Pentecostal movement that said as their byline and as their main marked message, we are not like the religious world. Come out from them and be you separate. We have a fire from God. We have a message from God. We're going to put God foremost. But now, Lord, just a few short years later, no Sunday night services, the reason is they can't draw people out on Sunday night. Might as well be honest. Can you say amen? Can't say amen, say oh me. This is the reason they don't have Sunday night services, is the people will not go. The reason they will not go is there's no sacred holy ground in their own lives uh, that this is a day that belongs to God. Sunday school and Bible school, and then we got to go to morning service, and then we got to go to, uh, we got to go to children's church, and we got to go to church. We got to—it's God's day, you know. 
doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him. Yeah, but I've got some... I said it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him. And we ought to start out at sunup and continue to midnight. Can you say amen? Because it's got... Boy, some of you cringed right then. You crunched right down. You see, at the heart of what I'm saying this morning is a perception of God. Now, David, when this was brought to him, he understood something about the sacred and the secular, and he understood there's something far beyond just the surface, and he poured it out before the Lord, and he would not drink it because he had a sense of the holy. At the heart of this is your perception of God. I was in a, uh, in a, a wedding. We had a wedding here some, some time ago. And uh, I'm looking back, uh, and in walks a young man with a muscle shirt on. Big dude, you know. He came to a wedding. His friends were getting married, and he's coming to a wedding. Now, something's not right about that. Can you say amen? But you see, we're living in a generation when holiness is mocked uh, and when decency is shoved aside. Uh, and uh, there's a few other things that bother me, like gum chewers who blow bubble. The preacher's preaching the sacred word of God, and you're blowing bubbles. Your children bring toys that they rattle and bang. Uh, during uh, the service, uh, and don't you realize that you're teaching these children to profane the house of God? Amen, Walls. Hello, Wall. Preach it, Brother Mitchell. That's good doctrine. Amen. You're teaching your children to profane the house of God. You're teaching them that there's nothing holy here, that this is just a place that we spend time because we have to, because if we don't, the preacher will be after us and he'll give us dirty looks. And I want to tell you this morning that if you want to be moved of God, don't look to hype, don't look to religious hype. Look at what I'm saying this morning. God is holy and all that is involved in is holy. Let me draw you a picture, if you bear with me, of Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 8. Listen carefully to these words. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. He's not your buddy sitting next to you. He's the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple, and above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me. I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this is touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And, whom will, uh, and who will go for us? Then I said, uh, here am I, uh, send me. See, what we're looking at here is God's call in revival 
and workers are linked to this principle uh, that we must establish sacred ground. If we have nothing more than a, uh, an organization that any fraternity could repeat or any business establishment could repeat, uh, then we have never met God. We do not know Him. We have no understanding of Him. But David had an understanding of the holy. And when they brought that water to him, it seized him. And he poured it out before the Lord because he saw this water as having a sacred element. Let's think about sacred things for a moment. We have a sacred heritage. This is what the Bible says is every believer's portion. And this is something that is to be valued. In the book of Psalms, chapter 16, verse 6, says, The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. See, our inheritance in God needs to be treated with honor and with respect. We have the story of Esau, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 16 and 17. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of bread sold his birthright, for you know that afterward, when he would wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. You see, God despises anyone who despises their birthright. Here is Esau, and I want you to know that Esau's spirit is not dead. It's alive in the church today because there are many people that have no concept of the tremendous value of the inheritance that has been given to you and I in Christ. First Kings 21, 2 and 3 tell us about Naboth. Naboth had an understanding of this. And uh, the scripture says uh, that uh, 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 Ahab came and, uh, to Naboth, and he said to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near next to my house. Uh, and for it, I'll give you a vineyard better than it. Or if it seems good to you, I'll give you its worth and money. But Naboth said to Ahab, Listen, the Lord forbid that I should give to the inheritance of my fathers to you. Now, here's a sacred response. This is why David did what he did, is he had a sense of the holy and of the sacred, and he says these words, Far be it from me, Lord. It's found in verse 17. He said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. These men risked their lives. They put their life on the line. They risked their own blood to bring a drink of water to David. And David recognizes this. And he said, No, Lord, these men have hazarded their lives, and I'll not drink of this. And so let's analyze the dynamics that are here. Here's David. And he did not say, I want you boys to go get me a drink out of the well of Bethlehem. He's a fugitive. He's in the cave of Dulam. And no doubt it's hot and it's stuffy. And he's just reminiscing. And undoubtedly there's no fresh water. They're drinking out of water that has been stored. And he's just kind of reminiscing, perhaps sweats running down his face. And he said, oh man, if I just had a drink of the well in Bethlehem. And they heard that. These men then went their way in 2 Samuel 23, 15, and 16, 
uh, David said uh, with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistine, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, uh, he would not drink it, uh, but poured it out uh, before the Lord. You see, there's something sacred uh, about people who venture their lives uh, for the gospel of Jesus Christ and for the vision of their leaders. Think about this for a moment uh, as we're sitting here. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 10, we have the apostle Paul. And the Bible says he saw a vision. Now, after he'd seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Think about these words. He saw and then we. See, there's something very sacred about people who are willing to hazard their lives, lay their lives on the line for leaders. First Samuel chapter 10, verse 26, And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and valiant men went with him whose hearts God had touched. Now, here's holy ground this morning. Let's ponder this through for a moment as we think about uh, the issue at hand. And uh, there are men who are willing to go, and their wives who are willing to go with them. Can you say amen? And they're willing to follow their husbands, uh, their congregations, uh, who are willing to give and invest uh, what they've traded their lives for. Every time we have an offering, we have people sitting here who have worked at jobs uh, and they have traded their life uh, for the currency of this world uh, and they put that currency into the plate uh, for outreach, for evangelism, for church planning so that we can have the ministry that we have. And I want to tell you, that is sacred currency. This is money that people have traded their lives for. It is not just simply money that we're taking an offering for. It is sacred, and there's a holy element to that, and we need to lock that in our minds. Leviticus chapter 22, verse 2 says, Speak to Aaron and his sons, that they may separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel, and that they do not profane my holy name, by what they dedicate to me, I am the Lord. Now, this is holy ground. And as we begin to ponder this, we need to think about the awesome consideration that we're dealing with. Let's take, for instance, a congregation that invests in a worker, such as we sent out uh, our uh, worker Adam and Joanne Harden last Wednesday evening. Let's think about the many workers that we've sent out. Uh, there's something about uh, a congregation that invests in a couple and send them out. Uh, they go kinky, and uh, their attitude is it's okay to steal what that congregation has invested in, uh, and the people have invested. I want to tell you there's something holy about that, and God keeps good books, I can tell you that. And God never fails. He is a just God. We live in a moral universe. And sooner or later, uh, sometimes sooner, sometimes later, God brings a hammer down because I can guarantee you that He is a holy God and what a congregation has invested, hazarded their lives for, and is put in the kingdom of God, God will bring to account. I believe it. Many people 
who uh, are in this ministry. They just take for granted. We have a laying on of hands, such as we did Wednesday or at conference. Uh, and uh, so, uh, this is just another conference ritual, laying on of hands. No, my friend, uh, there's a consecration that, and a separation that is holy. Uh, and this is not just something that is a ritual that we do. This is something that God is involved in. Can you say amen? Uh, and this is a holy... Uh, 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 this is a holy time uh, and a holy dimension. Many times we see people, uh, all they're waiting for is the announcements to be made in conference. As soon as the announcement, boom, they're out to the parking lot and they're off to Coco's. Well, I have problems with that. Did you hear what I said? I said, I have problems with that. Because this is just as important... Uh, as all the other things, there's something sacred about that moment uh, when as a congregation or a fellowship, we are laying our hands on people, we are investing them in them, giving them a charge. Uh, God is involved in that, uh, and it is holy ground. I have problems with people who, when we give altar calls, this is the time that under the guise of having to pee, they go out and have a social time out in the foyer. I have problems with that. To the altar call is what we're all about. This is our entire legacy. Our entire vision is to bring souls to Jesus Christ, uh, but they don't have the decency. And I know if you've got to pee, why don't pee in the pew? But, uh, that, but uh, you know, uh, if you've got to go, you've got to go. But most of you don't got to go, you just go. I have problems with people when we have baptismal services. This has bothered me for years. Here, here is the, uh, one of the most sacred acts uh, of our entire ministry. Here are precious people who've made a decision for Jesus Christ. Uh, now they're publicly going to be baptized, go on record, uh, and uh, people uh, in droves go out in fellowship. They go out in the parking lot. They go out and cut financial deals or sell houses or whatever they do. They don't have time to watch uh, this beautiful thing uh, that's taking place. Uh, they are blaspheming uh, something that is holy, uh, and I hope that you take it to heart. Say blaspheme. Say it again, blaspheme. You're blaspheming something uh, that is holy, uh, and when you do that, uh, the damage that is done is not as much to the people who are here. The damage that is done is to your own spiritual nature because you've crossed a threshold uh, where the secular and the sacred is mixed together, and you do not have time uh, to cultivate within yourself something holy. I want to talk to you about sacrilege uh, being judged. We get a revelation from this scripture of God's view of people. You know, many times, uh, leaders, Bible study leaders, music group leaders, uh, pastors, uh, assistant pastors, concert, etc., they view people as a commodity. People are just chattel. Uh, there's something that, uh, that uh, uh, just simply a commodity to be traded to fulfill my own ambition. But I want to tell you that God says something very powerful. And as he says this in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, listen to this. Uh, this is a powerful statement. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You, the scripture says, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Look to your right, the person sitting on your right. Look at them. 
Look to the person on your left. A royal generation, a holy priesthood. Say, no, 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 that's my husband. <laughs> no, that's my son or daughter. You don't know them, Pastor. See, I'm reading from the Word of God. Say, but, you know, they need, they need to be old. They never brush their teeth, you know. You see, I'm speaking this morning from the Word of God. God says this morning, you're a chosen generation, you're a royal priesthood, and God has called you individually out of darkness into His marvelous light. And the Old Testament underlines this statement over and over again, and that statement is the people of God. Now, there's a frightening dimension I want to conclude on right here. David valued people. David valued people. These are men that David said went in jeopardy of their lives. They brought this water. I didn't command them to do it. They just wanted to do this because of honor of me as their leader. I will not drink this. I will not blaspheme. I will not profane that by treating that as a secular thing. I'm pouring this out as an offering before God, and there's some sobering examples of sacrilege in the Bible. One is Uzziah. The Bible says that Uzziah is a great king, but there came a time when Uzziah decided that just simply being a king was not sufficient. He wanted to be a priest also, and he took a censer and took coals and incense from off the altar, and he crossed the threshold into the holy place as some 80 preachers were saying, don't do this, Uzziah. And the moment he stepped across... a leper because he did not grasp, cultivate, honor, and keep this understanding. There's a difference between the holy and the secular. We have Jesus. Jesus comes to the temple, and as he finds them at the temple, he finds the money changers. This has become a merchandise center. People are coming from all over the world, uh, and uh, they have coinage, but they need to make an offering of a dove or pigeon or whatever, and uh, so they have to first change their money into the currency of the country, and then from that they have to bargain and buy, and this is pandemonium. Jesus comes upon this scene, takes a, a, a whip of cords, drives him out, overturns, and says, you've made my father's house a house of merchandise, uh, and uh, uh, my, father, my the scripture said that you will, uh, that you will, uh, uh, that my house should be called a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. There's something that's not right about uh, coming to church to do business. Something's not right about that. Can you say amen? Something's not right. You have six days in the week to do business. Do your business. Don't make the church. This is why I've never allowed uh, uh, pyramid schemes. I've never allowed all the uh, financial things. That, you know, I've never allowed Amway to function here. I've never allowed this stuff. Uh, and it may not be evil itself, but it doesn't belong in church. See, Amway loves to get into churches. Ooh, how they like churches. Yes, indeed. They even have a theology. Amen. They have testimony services. They have evangelistic crusades. 
but it doesn't belong in church. David understands and puts something out, and that is the difference between the sacred and the secular. There's a history of Karl Marx, and it says that when Karl Marx was a young man, his family was in Germany. They were German Jews. And as they were there, his father was a businessman, and uh, he was of Jewish faith, but they moved to another part of Germany, and in that part, uh, they were predominantly German Lutherans. And suddenly, they found themselves going to a Lutheran church, and he asked his father, said, Father, uh, I thought we were Jewish, now we're Lutheran. And he said, it's good for business, son. He became an unbeliever. He became an atheistic father of communism, and the world was cursed by the example that his father gave that lodged in that boy's heart that grew into fruition that cursed the earth. Now, we need to understand this as I conclude about the church. 1 Corinthians 3 and 16 and 17 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God? and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. You better be careful how you speak about God's temple. Can you say amen? You know, these people, they, uh, they, they make it their business, that well, uh, you know, those people, uh, that church. Well, be very careful how you address God's body. And his temple. First Chronicles 16, 21 and 22 says, He permitted no man to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sakes, uh, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets uh, no harm. That was not written so that a preacher could beat people over the head uh, that don't want to serve his ego. That was written uh, to give an understanding that there is a difference between the secular and the sacred. Some things are holy, and one thing is holy is the people of God. See, this will change how you view people and your ministry once this grips you. In the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 28, Paul is addressing the Ephesian pastors. And he said, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. See, how would you feel this morning? Let's, let's, let's say uh, uh, this morning that, uh, that uh, I find your door open at home. And so I go in and I jerk uh, flour out of the cupboard. I spill it all over. I take toothpaste and spring it all over. I take uh, the shaving lotion and spread it. How would you feel? You come in and you say, hey, 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 that's my house. I paid for this house. Isn't that right? Well, you see, people have no problem whatever crossing that threshold to the addressing of the people of God and trashing them. And God says this morning that this is what it means to be holy. God says, this is my church, these are my people, and I regard them as being holy. And some things in life are final. Let me give you this final two scriptures. Revelation twenty-two eleven. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. See, eternity is going to catch you just like you are. 
we have this delusion in the human race that plenty of time you know we're uh, you know when, when we get when we get old, I mean, when we get to Pastor Mitchell's age, we can start living for God because, uh, you know, there's not a lot of time left, do you think? I'm going to outlive you. <laughs> well, you see, we have this delusion, but I want to tell you, I've pastored for some 40 years. Uh, I have preached to people face-to-face, just like you're sitting, and they never, ever had another opportunity. They were in eternity before another service came, uh, and I knew that they went out unsaved, and they asked me to do the funeral. Oh, God, what heartache, what anguish of soul and heart to look out upon a family and friends uh, and neighbors uh, who are associates and who loved and cared for an individual. Uh, and I know that that individual sat in a Sunday service like you're sitting, uh, rejected the invitation of the love and the grace of God. Never, not even Wednesday night, they had an opportunity to come again. They were in eternity. And you have to minister. They say, Pastor, would you minister? Would you preach the funeral? And uh, you have to uh, serve the people of God. But your heart is breaking because you know that person is in hell. They are not in heaven. You know they're lost forevermore. Because the scripture, uh, let him be holy still. He is righteous. Let him be righteous still. Because eternity caught them right where they were. And they went into eternity exactly that way. And this is why that is written in the scripture. I want every head bowed, every eye closed. No one's moving around for the next several moments. And the Holy Spirit deals with our sacred things sacred things what a profound thought that we have just before I change the order of the service there are people here this morning your heart is not right with God if eternity catches you before another service you're not going to be with God you're not going to be in heaven you're not going to be saved you're not going to have any assurance of eternity you're going to be in a devil's hell forever and forever and forever and ever you're lost for eternity because eternity will catch you where you are but you see there's a there's a holy word going forth this morning that word is of God's care and concern and of his love for you Jesus said behold I stand at the door and knock if any man any woman any boy any girl any young person hear my voice and open the door I will come in See, God loves you. Christ died for your sins. And now's an opportunity for you to get your heart right with God. Just before I change this, I wonder how many people, unsaved, you've never been born again, you have no assurance of sins forgiven. Backslider, you're here today. You say, Pastor, I need God desperately. Torment, grief, ungodliness grips your heart. You'd say, I need to get right with God. You slip your hand up right where you are and say, Pastor, I need God. I see that hand. How many more will join these? Backslider, unsaved man, woman, boy or girl. You just lift your hand and say, I need to get right with God, Pastor. I'm not right. I'm not right. The Holy Spirit's convicting me. I believe in Jesus Christ, but I'm not obeying the Lord right now. I do believe, but I'm not born again. Would you slip your hand up? Join this precious soul. Say, I need God tonight, today. I want to get right with God. Quickly, I'm going to change this. You want my prayer? Lift your hands. I need God. I want to get right with God. Left to right, front to back. Thank you for this hand. How many more will join these? Quickly.
I'm going to change it. Thank you. How many more will join the? So I need to get right with God. You see, eternity is real, and eternity is going to catch you just like you are. There's not going to be time for you to change your mind. Others, you slip your hand up quickly, left to right, front to back. Thank you for this hand. How many more would there be? Say, I need God right now, Pastor. I want your prayer. All right, I'm changing the invitation for a moment. There are people here this morning that the Spirit of God's convicting you. You have not made the division between the sacred and the secular. You, uh, as a, a, a manner of speaking, have taken the drink of water and without giving it a second thought, you've just gulped it down because it satisfies your carnal appetite and your carnal need and you have not made a separation between the holy and the profane. God's convicting you. You are saved. You are born again. But God's convicting you of your conduct and attitude. You slip your hand up right there. How many would there be right there where you're sitting? Yes. Hands are going up. Would there be others? Yes. Honesty of heart and soul. Thank you. Anybody else want my prayer? Say yes. All right. You can put those hands down. Every one of you lifted your hand. You want to get right with God. Lift your head and look at me while I'm standing here this morning. You really mean that, son? You mean that in the back? I believe you do. You mean this in here? I believe you do. You mean that back there? Get out of your seat. Come and, and come and find a place to pray right now. God is going to touch your heart. He's going to help you. We're going to stand and sing that chorus, Oh, the blood of Jesus, oh, the blood of Jesus. These altars are open. God's convicted many souls. Uh, come right now while we're singing, Oh, the blood of Jesus. Uh, you make your petition to God. You lay out your case to God. You confess to God what he's talking to you about. Uh, and God will meet you while you're here. Oh, the blood of Jesus, let us sing it. If you're standing by a loved one, an unsaved uh, friend or neighbor, and uh, you know they're not right with God, turn to them, invite them to come and pray this morning before we, uh, we change this. Oh, the blood of Jesus, uh, and oh, uh, forgave my sin in Jesus' name. Let's sing that chorus. Uh, presence of God. Sacred things uh, are not some description out of a book long ago forgotten they're relevant today whether you observe that note this now note this down because this is the essence of it all whether you observe that and cultivate that will determine the state of your own heart yes it does damage to others who uh, see your irrelevance and they see your sacrilege and they see your uh, mockery but that isn't who it really hurts who it really hurts is your own self you wound your sensitivity and reverence for and separation from the world in which we live and you lose the appreciation for holy things and when you lose that appreciation no longer does it thrill you to see someone healed no longer does it thrill you to hear a report of outreach and evangelism and crusades no longer does it thrill you to hear the word of God no longer does it thrill you to contemplate uh, eternal things uh, you enter into a secular realm and the sense of the sacred's gone and you're the one that loses out and eventually you will drop by the wayside. I want you to bow your heads for a moment. I pray God will move upon your heart this day, cause you to cultivate, contemplate, meditate, and appreciate holy things. Father, I pray today that your hand of blessing will rest upon your people, these are your people, Lord, called by your name, blood-bought, translated into the kingdom of your dear Son. 
Father God, may the Holy Spirit this morning penetrate. May the Holy Spirit convict. May the Holy Spirit deal with and raise up an army with a sense of the sacred and the holiness of God and go forth to demonstrate this into a world that is desperate for you. Dismiss us now. Bless, I pray. Minister to each one, for I've asked it in Jesus' name. Amen. You minister to those who are in attendance, every visitor, make them feel welcome this morning.